ago, I went to a high school class reunion for old people, and uh, it was a weird experience, and it felt a lot like high school, that I was on the outside looking in most of the time. And I don't know if you felt that way in high school or middle school. Uh, I had a pretty good, I, I don't feel sorry for me, but at the same time, you know, I was around a table of guys. In fact, we were supposed to go golf, and it got uh, rained out, and so we ended up at a sports bar, which typical for my high school classmates. And uh, we were there just talking and stuff, and they were telling stories. I had no idea what was happening on basketball road trips or baseball road all that stuff. I was like, what? And I asked my friend Brad, I said, you know about any of that stuff? He goes, no. And, like, and uh, again, just kind of reminded me that uh, probably it's a good thing that I wasn't a part of that, but, but at the same time, I was on the outside looking in most of the time. And it's my contention is that that's uh, one of the reasons why we struggle in middle school and high school because we want to belong. We want to fit in. We want people to invite us to the things that are happening. And we don't want to be out there like, oh, finding out later that, that those things are happening. And it doesn't stop there, right? It doesn't stop at, uh, you know, high school graduation. It keeps going. And in fact, I would say through our probably entire lives is that we would, we'd like to be included. We want to be loved and, and to, to love others. And, and so we will do desperate things to even do that, right? In fact, I would say we will do compromising things in order to fit in and to be included and to be loved. And we live with enough insecurity uh, in our lives that we just don't feel comfortable uh, by ourselves and we don't want to be alone by ourselves. And, you know, that uh, the, my theme song uh, in my high school life was, it's another Saturday night and I ain't got nobody. Right? You Google it if you don't, right? It's like, don't, again, don't feel so, oh, yeah. Like I had a horrible, I didn't have, but it was just lonely. A lot of our lives is just spent in loneliness. My guess is yours has been as well. Perhaps you recognize these powerful words. Each morning I get up and die a little. Can barely stand on my feet. Take a look in the mirror and cry, Lord, what you're doing to me. I've spent all my years in believing in you, but I just can't get no relief. Lord, somebody, somebody, can anybody find me? Somebody to love, right? We want to lay love. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> I truly wish Freddie Mercury could have found somebody who would just have loved him, right? And we all relate to that song and we sing it because we don't know, right? We don't know how to fit in. We see this very thing in the miracle that we are looking at this week in the life of Jesus. And for the last four weekends, we've looked at the uh, miracles of Christ and this greatest showman series. A lot of you responding to me is resonating with a lot of folks because most of us need a miracle. We need a miracle. And I'm guessing some of you need this one today desperately. And Jesus isn't showing off, but he is showing us who he is. And he wants us to know that even in our darkest and our difficult and the worst days of our life, that he can be there for us. Check this out. Mark chapter 5, 21. Jesus got into the boat again, 
right? So we've seen this multiple times. And he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him again, right? So this, this is right now a constant theme in his life as he can't get away from people. The leader of the local synagogue, who is a very important person, very powerful, very influential, top dog in the world, right? Whose name is Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed Right? You would totally go, right? You would totally, like, I'm going to see this. I want to be around. And I love Jairus, and I love his daughter, and I want to, you know, be a part of it. And so they all are going. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Listen to that. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, love that word, right? Immediately, we've seen this before. He doesn't, it's not a hesitation or he doesn't make us wait, right? Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power that had gone out from him, so he can sense this. Amazing that he can sense this. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said, look at this crowd pressing on you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his knees in front of him, told him what she had done. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So once again, we see Jesus. He's in a boat. He lands the, they land the boat. A bunch of people are there. And not only a bunch of people, but Jairus is there. He is the leader of the synagogue, which for us, us like that's no big deal. But for the first century Jew, this was the top dog, had a very important position of, of influence and probably wealth. And so he was an important figure. And his daughter is sick, and she's dying, and he knows it. And he goes to Jesus, and he falls on his knees, and he begs for help. Now, we were like, why? But the people of the synagogue didn't like Jesus, didn't want him around, didn't like his ministry, didn't like what he was doing, didn't like his influence, didn't like his popularity. But when your daughter is dying, you beg. All of that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. And he humbles himself, lays down in front of Jesus, and begs him for some help. Every single parent here would know exactly that feeling, and it wouldn't matter if our doctor was Muslim or Hindu or uh, uh, 
whatever, right? It was like, I, as long as you're the best at whatever you can do to heal my kid, I want the best surgeon. I don't care from what school or what you know location or whatever. I don't care what your skin color is. I need the best. I, and we will let down a lot of prejudice when it comes to the fact that, man, my kid's sick, and I don't care as long as you can heal. Like, Right, and we throw away religion, we throw away race, we throw away uh, uh, sexuality. All this—it doesn't really matter, right? And so Jairus throws it all out the window at the moment because his daughter is sick and is dying, and so he's begging Jesus to help. He's desperate, and so he asks for Jesus to go. Jesus does. Jesus goes, and, and so does the crowd, and it's a crazy crowd, lots of people everywhere, and then all of a sudden, Jesus stops in the middle of this madness and says, who touched me? Now, again, this is, this is chaos. There's people everywhere. It's like game day in Nebraska. It's like everybody's around you touching. It's like you're getting through there. It's awkward. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. And everybody stops. He says, somebody touched me. And the disciples, well, of course they did. You're just like, We're, we'll try to keep them away from you, Lord. I'm very sorry that they, that happened. We'll, I understand. Uh, back off. Everybody back off. Give the, give, the, give the master some room. We gotta get to his house and... Stop bothering him. We, we're on a mission. But there's a woman there who's trembling and she's scared and she had been sick and now she's well. It's all messed up, right? You probably don't understand the ramifications of her illness. She's had this illness for 12 years. It's, it's humiliating. It's embarrassing. It's, it, it's more than that. Now, she has tried everything she can. She's talked to every doctor. She spent every bit of her money to get well. And the reason she wants to get well is not just a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing for her as well. She, because of her illness, she is cut off from any kind of religious activity in her community. She is not allowed to go to the synagogue. She is not allowed to go to the temple. She is not allowed to go to a Bible study. She can't, and they can't, and by the way, she, nobody is allowed to touch her, and nobody is allowed to hug her, and nobody is allowed to even be in her home because of her status as an unclean woman because she's got this illness. It's not her fault, but that's just the reality that she's living with for 12 years. Check this out in Leviticus chapter 15. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on or any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be if you touch this, you will be ceremonially unclean, and you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days and she will be ceremonially clean. And on the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. Can't quite get in yet. 
The priest will offer one for a sin offering and for the other a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. This was awful. The worship of God, she was cut off from. The fellowship of her church and her family was, was intense, cut off from a touch of a friend or a family member, even for them to come over and be in her home. She's all alone in her misery. Ben Sass, in his latest book, argues that loneliness is the real struggle that we're having today in our culture. If he is right, the ramifications are huge, especially in a culture where we isolate ourselves behind a phone screen. We've got lots of friends on Facebook, but we don't have lots of relationships with anybody. Here's what he writes. Loneliness is in epidemic proportions and is producing a loneliness literature of sociological and medical findings about the effect of loneliness on individuals' brains and bodies and on communities. Sass says, there is a growing consensus that loneliness, not obesity or cancer or heart disease, is the nation's number one health crisis. Persistent loneliness reduces the average longevity more than twice as much as heavy drinking and more than three times as much as obesity, which is often a consequence of loneliness. I would also argue that so is heavy drinking. Research demonstrates that loneliness is a physical is physically dangerous is as physically dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Sass says we are literally dying of despair of the failure to fill the hole millions of Americans feel in their lives. This is this woman's problem. She's lonely. That's why she's so desperate. Did not have relationships, not have her faith. No wonder she's spent all her money. She's given back her life. It was more than physical. It was certainly emotional and relational, super spiritual. No one could have done anything for her except Jesus. Now she's whole. That's truly what Jesus can do for everyone. He is for everyone. Nebraska might not be, but Jesus is for everyone. (laughs) I sometimes think that the church has forgotten that. We've put on our billboards, not for everyone, not for everyone. This church isn't for everyone. We would never put that out on our billboard, right, or uh, in our literature or on our website. Hey, this church isn't for everyone. But we might hint at it or kind of allude to it when we talk about somebody like, hey, we should invite her to a small group. You think? Yeah, I think we should. Oh, uh, well, I, maybe, maybe, you probably don't know this, but she just went through a divorce. I don't think she's going to fit in here. You know, our church is for families. Right? They don't really have the same skin color as most of us. You think they'd fit in? 
pretty sure they're a Trump supporter. <laughs> Look at that hat. Hey, we're not inviting them in. She voted for Hillary. Ha, great. Love that bumper sticker. Great, yeah. Don't want that, right? We, we probably <laughs> won't pray about that in a small group or invite them into our home or our lives because they truly are unclean. And though we would like to think that this church is for everyone, we have our doubts. We probably won't say it out loud. Just think, if we truly believe that, this church is for everyone. What do you think would happen? I think everyone would come. I just think we would have a hard time keeping the chairs, right? We wouldn't have enough because we're all looking for somebody to love. Jesus utters the most amazing words, right, when he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He calls her daughter in front of Jairus, who had never called her anything but unclean. Daughter. How she had longed to be called that. For some of you today, you feel just like this woman, shut out for whatever reason. Maybe it's self-imposed. Maybe you just think, I, I don't. I really don't deserve to be here. And if anybody ever finds out anything about my life, I'm sure they're just gonna push hard to get me out the door. I don't think I could ever get right with God. I don't really think that I can get back to church. After all I've done, I'm pretty sure I'm out. I'm on, I'm on the outside looking in. And we see baptisms and we think, I don't think that's even for me. Could he really do that for me? You need to hear this one. First John 1, 9, go ahead and you put this on the refrigerator, lock it up someplace where you see it every day. If we confess... We might not, but if we do, so if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The key word in there is the word all. We tend to read it like this, but if we confess our sins to him, he just might forgive us and he might cleanse us from some of it, but probably not all of it because there's, I can't even forgive myself of all of it. Why would he if I can't? You might be struggling with that. I don't know your story. You don't know my story. I know some of your stories. It was as if he called you out of a grave. You were dead. You came alive again. What's holding you back from that? Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't think he's telling the truth. Maybe you've asked for a miracle and nothing happened. Maybe you got hurt by the church. And for that one, I'm truly sorry. 
Jesus is perfect and his love is true and his grace is real and he can and he will heal you and restore you into community and I can promise you that Stonebridge Christian Church is a place for you to come and though we're not a perfect church, we certainly try, we certainly are trying to be more and more like Jesus. Perhaps that would be the true miracle is that you would find Uh, yourself here and you would be able someday to even kind of confess your sin and people wouldn't flinch and they wouldn't right they wouldn't go but they would find you would find an acceptance and a love that is real and genuine mark chapter 5 we see the story kind of going on here verse 35 while he was speaking so while jesus is speaking to this woman the messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. You don't have to trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. If you would read on down through there, we see that his daughter comes back to life and a miracle that takes place. There's more than one miracle in this, in this uh, passage. What it tells me that even on my worst day, that Jesus will be there for me. This was Jairus' worst day. And he needed Jesus more than anything else. I don't know, I uh, really don't know what happened to Jairus for the rest of his life. You would like to think that the leader of the synagogue all of a sudden became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what kind of pressures were on Jairus at that moment. I don't know what, but I tell you, I truly believe that with all my heart that he would have been incredibly grateful for the reckless love of God. On your worst day, Jesus will be there saying to you, don't be afraid, just believe. That doesn't mean everything turns out the way we want. It doesn't truly believe that everything is going to get better, but he's going to be there with me every step of the way. God is always good and cannot be anything but that. If that is so, and if we can believe that, then, then we can trust a Savior, and he will be with us, and that will be enough. That will be enough. Let's pray. So if this is true, that you would forgive us of all our sin. Hmm. Then, then I want in. I'm tired of looking on the from the you know from the outside looking in. I'm tired of being feeling like I don't deserve. I don't. I don't. This isn't for me. And I desperately want a relationship with my creator and with people who love me and accept me for just who I am. Lord, help us be that kind of church. Please help us to let go of some things that we've hidden, we haven't dealt with very well, 
that we might be known in Omaha, in Fremont, in Millard, in Benson, wherever you take us, where our work, where we play, where we live, that this would be a church, that I would be a person who would love everyone. In Christ we pray.